Good morning, church. My name is Jeremy Hetzel. I'm the Director of Student Ministries here at Family of Christ. Thank you for joining us in worship today. Um, I just, before we even get started, can we just praise God for the amazing musicians God has blessed us with, with Mark and Shannon. That was just a sweet time of worship, so I wanted to say thanks for that. How's everyone doing today? Awake? Awake? I just finished up junior high service week, so some of you junior high students spent all week with me. Woo! Um, it was a little low, the yelling, because everyone's tired. We spent all week. We went up to LVR. Props, LVR folks. Thanks for joining us. We went up to LVR for the day, and then we were in Boulder, and we were in Denver, and we had to go to Great Wolf Lodge. <sighs> Love on people there at the water park. Tough job. Um, So today, we are going into our third message as we go through James. And so we've been talking about James and the different trials and temptations that we face, that we encounter, that we have to deal with. And what I wanted to do today um, was ask a simple question to start. Has anyone ever felt like this? I'm assuming by laughter, it's either, no, I've never even felt that way, so that's hilarious that you would think that, or, oh my gosh, where'd you get my picture? (laughs) So if you don't know, this is anger, the emotion from the movie Inside Out. We're not going to show a clip, sorry. Go watch it on your own, geez, don't come here to just watch movies. Um, But what I want to do just to start out is take some time and talk with the people around you about stuff that makes you angry. Now, you can talk about stuff that you can be really vulnerable about. I encourage you to do that. Um, If you're sitting next to someone that you don't want to talk to, um, think think something real simple, Um, but take about a minute or two and talk about stuff with your families, those around you, about stuff that makes you angry. Go. All right, you guys are a good chipper group this morning. Thanks. All right, so can I hear some answers? Stuff that makes you angry. 
stupid drivers. Can we get an amen? amen. Now, I define stupid drivers as anyone who isn't driving as fast as I am driving. So if you are not five over the speed limit, what the heck are you doing? I'm talking highway here, not like back roads. Um, so yes, stupid drivers. Because who goes five under? It's dangerous. <laughs> All right, some people go five under, and that is a safety concern, so praise God for that. I just will go around you. Um, other things that make you angry? Politicians. Politicians. What? Really? All right, Michael, I hear that. Others, what makes you angry? Injustice. 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 Praise God, that's why we have the Avengers. <laughs> God gives lots of good gifts. Injustice, yes, I agree. Other things that make you angry? When your little sister's annoying you, which thankfully doesn't happen like ever. Yes, so, so sibling relationships or family relationships, that can make us angry. I hear that. Any others? Tardiness. Tardiness. Whew. I am never tardy. Joe. Huh? What? Bosses? Your boss? People you work for? Make sure if you're clapping, your boss is not here. <laughs> I know your boss. That's funny. At first I thought you said losses. So, so I've told you guys before I'm a Red Sox fan, right? So, man, this is God's country. So <clears throat> I'm a Red Sox fan, and a couple weeks ago, Red Sox are playing the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, the Phillies are my brother's favorite team, but this year they absolutely stink. Like, if you don't follow baseball, the Phillies are like the worst team in the league. <laughs> um, so, so <clears throat> there's four-game series. Red Sox win the first three. It's a given. Um, last game, Chris Sale, who is like the Red Sox best pitcher, he leads the league in strikeouts. He is crazy good. He's pitching against this lame-o Phillies team. And I'm like, well, if we win any games, like, this one's in the bag. Like, I don't even have to pay attention. I checked the score. It's the seventh inning. It's one nothing, Phillies. I'm like, come on, guys. You're, you're batting against a triple-A guy. Like, come on. They lost. The Red Sox lost. And anger happens just like that. Someone rat him out. Who yelled? Carmen yelled? Hmm. If you guys don't see me talk to Carmen for the next two weeks, you know why. Okay. So, sometimes we get mad about just silly stuff, right? Sometimes we still get mad. That's life. And there's other stuff that's really painful and traumatic and hurtful that we get mad about, right? So there's a huge spectrum from drivers to baseball games to siblings to really difficult life stuff. I wanted to start out today, if you have your Bibles, go to 2 Kings chapter 5. 
2 Kings chapter 5. And you guys are like, what? That's not James. We're going to go to James. 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to read quickly the story of Naaman. You guys heard the story of Naaman? Anyone know the story of Naaman? If you were a junior higher in junior high service week, we read it this week, so you better have your hand up. Yeah, awesome. Some of you were in a junior high service week and you raised your hand. All right. So we're going to read the first verse, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, and then we will read 9 through 12. So verse 1. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. So he's not an Israelite. He's an Aramite. And you know that I'm correct in that because you can add ite to any type of nation and say it correctly. Just try it sometime. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. What is leprosy? Skin disease. Is it something you want to have? No. If you read it in the Gospels, Jesus healed 10 lepers. Lepers tended to have colonies. It was very transmittable, and so they stayed away, and it could cause death. It caused a lot of pain. You, it, it's, leprosy stops your like, nerve sensors, so you don't know you're in pain. So you could have your foot in the fire, and you fell asleep, and you just don't know, and your foot is burning. We don't want leprosy. Naaman has leprosy. So a servant girl who'd been kidnapped from Israel is working for him in his household and mentions that there's a prophet in Israel that could heal him. So Naaman goes, sends a letter to the king of Israel and says, hey, I'm coming, I want you to heal me. And the king of Israel's like, what? Tears his clothes, he's mad. How am I supposed to do this? I can't heal? What the heck? He's, so he's mad. So um, Elisha, the prophet, hears that the king of Israel is mad and says, oh, send the guy to me. I can help him. So that is where we pick up the story now. So Naaman is going to Elisha, the prophet. And Elisha is the prophet that followed Elijah. Okay, verse nine. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Just go scrub seven times in this dirty river, and you'll be good. Ironically, Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's mad. Naaman is upset. He had an expectation of what was supposed to happen, and it didn't happen. Anyone ever had an expectation of something that was going to happen and then it didn't? Did you get mad? I expected the Red Sox to win. Did they? No. Did the Warriors win the finals? Who was supposed to be there? The Spurs. Stupid Zaza. So, you expect something to happen, it doesn't happen. All right, let's go to James now. We are going to read the first two verses of our text. We're going to read James chapter 1, 
19 and 20. James chapter 1, 19 and 20. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Did Naaman live out this verse of scripture? I would say no. I think he got angry kind of fast, kind of like I got mad at Carmen. Forever. (laughs) Just kidding. So Naaman gets mad at the fact that he's not healed. And his anger, like, I don't know about you guys, but when I get angry, it's not just like, oh, I'm starting to simmer. And then like seven hours later, ah! No, it hits you right here, right now. It hits you and you're mad. You're like, what the heck? That's not how it's supposed to be. And that's how Naaman felt. So my question is, how on earth are we supposed to live this out? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. How are we supposed to be slow to become angry? Because my experience, and if you've watched the movie Inside Out, you just go off. You're a hothead. You got flames above your head. And it's just simmering. You're just mad. It happens. And sometimes you're, you're mad about good stuff, right? Sometimes you're mad about injustice. Well, that's a good thing to be mad about. So <clears throat> as we think about how do we live this out, first off, I think we need to remember and understand that anger has a point of origin, What is the root, what is the point of origin of anger? And I think often it comes from believing and thinking about and propping up a specific phrase. That phrase is this. This is not how it's supposed to be. This is not how it's supposed to be. Think about that. Next time you are angry or upset, the internal dialogue you are probably having is this is not how it's supposed to be. You are driving down the road and there is a person, there's an 18-wheeler trying to pass another 18-wheeler on I-25. Why are they trying to do that? It takes them 18 miles to pass. Wait for three lanes. This is not how it's supposed to be. The Red Sox are playing a really crappy team. They lose. (laughs) I'm going to stop talking about it just so Carmen stops celebrating. This is not how it's supposed to be. You think about um, parents, your children, or children, your parents, where parents have said very clearly, do this, beloved child. And they don't do it. Sometimes they talk back. Sometimes they act like they're deaf. Sometimes we believe they're deaf. This is not how it's supposed to be. Um, Think about marriages. You have been married to your spouse for 10 or 20 years, and they keep brushing their teeth that way. Oh my gosh, I've told them 18 times. This is not how it's supposed to be. 
You think about some very painful situations. You think about loss in your life. Maybe there is a loss of a child. Maybe your marriage ends. Maybe there is a difficulty at work that causes you to be fired and it's not your fault at all. This is not how it's supposed to be. I think much of the root of our anger comes from this phrase. This is not how it's supposed to be. So first off, we have to recognize what is the origin of our anger. Second, before I give you the sub point, I want to go to Job. We're going to read from Job chapter 40. Now, Job has 42 chapters, so we are close to the end. And if anyone knows about Job, some people pronounce his name Job. That's incorrect. Job had everything in life he could want. He, had, he was wealthy. He had wonderful kids, a spouse, everything he could dream. And Satan comes and makes a deal with God and says, hey, let me just, let's see if Job turns on you, if I take everything away from him. And God says, you can do anything you want to him except like hurt him physically. He loses everything. Job loses everything. He is sitting in the dirt, scraping sores he has with pot shards. His friends are trying to be encouraging, but they're really just kind of condemning him. He's lost everything. He's upset. God speaks to Job. Verse 1 of chapter 40. The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's, and can your voice thunder like his? God goes through the rest of chapter 40 and all of 41 explaining about his greatness, his strength, his might in very visual terms. Um, terms. Chapter 41, verse 1 says, can you pull in the Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down his tongue with a rope? It just continues to talk about, I am almighty God. Don't forget. Job chapter 42. Last chapter in the book of Job. Verses one and two. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. God is in control. God is in control. And he is allowing you to be in the situation that you're in that's causing you to be angry. We say, this is not how it's supposed to be. And sometimes we're exactly right. There are some things that God says, I agree. This is not how it's supposed to be. 
but I want to use you like I use Job to bring glory to my name. Will you allow it? I have allowed this difficult, crappy, angry situation in your life. And sometimes it's because we put ourselves there, right? Sometimes we make choices, we don't follow God, we're selfish, we're prideful, and the place that we get to isn't where God wants us to be, and then we're upset. Well, God wants to teach us. God wants to grow us and stretch us and make us more like him, and so we have lessons to learn. So he uses those situations to make us better. But there's other times when it is totally unjust and you still have to deal. And that's hard. The other thing, the second point, first you gotta recognize the origin of anger. Second, you have to recognize that God is in control. I think this point is probably the hardest. Because ultimately, if you accept that as true, that God is in control, then you recognize, so God, it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault that my baby died. It's your fault that my marriage ended. It's your fault that my house got foreclosed on. It's your fault. God can handle our anger. If you read the Psalms, it's a beautiful example of David being completely real with his God about his anger, about him being upset. God, you haven't shown up. If you are feeling that way today, please continue to talk to God. He wants to hear from you. He's big enough to handle your disappointment and your anger. Recognize the origin. It's not supposed to be this way. And then you gotta recognize that God is in control and he's allowing it. For example, you're driving down a road and your car breaks down. Is there ever a good time for your car to break down? Never. Sometimes there's worse times, but there's never a good time. Could God miraculously heal your vehicle on the side of I-25? He could. Could he send a mechanic right to you, driving behind you, see you pull over and fix it there on the spot? He could. Does he do that all the time? Sometimes he makes you go to the mechanic or get your vehicle towed. Sometimes they have your vehicle for three days. Sometimes they have it for a week. Sometimes you're in and out of the mechanics for two months. Is God allowing that situation? Are you angry about it? Stupid piece of crap car. Yeah. Maybe God wants you to develop a relationship with your mechanic and share the love of God with him. Maybe God wants the mechanic to see that you are able to be patient and calm in the midst of junk. We often don't think about that when we're sitting on the road being aggravated because now we're late. And that's understandable, right? I mean, that happens to all of us. But my hope and prayer is that we continue to grow and learn and get to a point where we go, oh, this is not how it's supposed to be. But God, you're allowing it. Third, I want to go back to James. 
We're going to read James 1, 19 through 21, all three verses. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. There's a couple things I want to focus on in that last verse. Humbly. We are not in control. So lower your pride, even though you know this is not how things are supposed to be. God has other plans. Lower your pride, drop it, accept God's will. And then it says, humbly accept the word planted in you. The word planted in you. As I was studying this text this week and praying about what to say and what scripture we needed to read, there's two verses from the Old Testament that came to mind that I think present a good picture of what except the word planted in you means. So let's go to Jeremiah. We're going to read from a section of Jeremiah and a section from Ezekiel. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31. We're going to read 31 to 34. And just as you are reminded, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, both prophets, at the end of the time when either Israel was being captured and hauled off or was already in captivity. Okay? So a lot of them feel like God's abandoned them. This is a very dark time in Israel's history. Jeremiah 31, starting at verse 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will, I, will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Verse 33, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. The word, God's law, himself planted in you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, his word has been put in you. His word has been put in you. Ezekiel 36. We're going to start at verse 22. Ezekiel 36, 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, 
which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them, then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God has put his Holy Spirit in us. His Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So if you want to live a life that is less angry, not to say that you won't ever get angry, less angry, more shortly angry, slower to become angry, then you gotta depend on God. You gotta depend on his spirit inside you, transforming you and changing you and making you do the things that you don't want. I wanna read that again. Verse 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, your heart of anger, your heart of bitterness, and give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart, a loving heart. And I will put my spirit in you, and I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. There is no way you can be slow to anger unless God is doing the work in you. And if you recognize that there is stuff that you are regularly becoming angry about, road rage, politicians, stupid sports teams, if you're getting mad about that stuff all the time, check why you're getting angry And if it is unfair, if it's not how God wants it, if it's not how it's supposed to be, God can still change you and transform you to help you not get mad about it. He can help you live differently. Let's go back to James. Verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly Accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Humbly accept, recognize your place, let go of your pride. Accept the word planted in you. Don't fight against the Holy Spirit. Strive to listen, follow, obey the Holy Spirit. Strive to be sensitive. Ask God to help you be sensitive to his leading. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, I did not do enough research to figure out exactly what that last phrase meant. So I'm just being honest there. But as I perceive it, there's two possibilities. First is, it's talking about eternal salvation. Okay? And when we live a life that is dependent on the Holy Spirit because we have been cleansed and renewed and changed because of our faith and because of our baptism, well, then we're saved. But it also could mean he will save us from all those trials that we've been talking about. Two weeks ago, Mark talked about pain. Last week, we talked about temptation. This week, we talk about anger. 
God can save us from those. I loved all the references in worship earlier about we're no longer slaves. We're no longer slaves to sin. And we don't have to be slaves to anger. God can free us from it. So in closing, what is the effect of unchecked anger in our faith life in the life of the church? It's damage. It's brokenness. It's pain. It's heartache. It's damage. God does not want anger in your life to damage your relationships or damage the church. There are times when we as a body of believers are angry with one another, even at church, because we perceive that either people are blatantly living in sin or believe people are stupid and make poor choices or they've just made us angry. What are we supposed to do? Matthew 18 calls us to go to that other person and talk to them. That's what you gotta do. You talk, and hopefully, the spirit working through both of you, you come to recognize maybe where both of you have erred or maybe where there's been a misunderstanding and God heals that relationship. There's other times that people go, what are you talking about? And they completely disagree, they don't see it. Well, then you gotta pray, Lord, am I seeing things correctly? Or am I not? In our lives within families and in our lives in the church, God wants us to live lives with soft hearts that forgive easily. And that's where we have to see the whole picture and ask God to help us let go. And even though this is not how it's supposed to be, God has allowed it. And do we trust him enough to accept it? May we be a people who love God so much and love others so much that when tough things come our way and we feel angry, we are slow to anger and quick to let go so that we can be a body that looks like Christ. Amen.